Let's go a different route this morning than our series. I've had a message on my heart that we looked at back in our Wednesday services some four years back out of the book of Philippians. I want you to find Philippians 1, and I want you to find Romans 8. Philippians 1, then one verse of Scripture out of Romans 8. Let me remind us, I know I've already stated it, but there are a lot of needs, a lot of needs around about us, a lot of, a lot of needs. Let's pray one for another in these days. Those facing the troubles they may be facing, let's be sure and pray for them. The greatest thing you can do for someone is share the gospel with them. The greatest thing you can do for a brother or sister in Christ is to pray for them. It's the greatest gift you can give to them is to pray for them. So we want to be found praying one for another. I trust you've marked your place in Philippians 1. That's where we're going to spend the majority of our time this morning. So you find your place in Romans 8, verse 28. If you can and will, would you stand with us, please? We'll stand as we read today's text for today's sermon. Romans 8, 28. One of you men, one of you men, read Romans 8, 28. Read it, brother. Aren't you glad that's in your Bible? That's in your Bible, you know. Somebody else read it. One of you men, read Romans 8, 28. Yes, sir, brother. Thank you, brother. Somebody else read it. Romans 8, 28. Another. Aren't you thankful for that church? Amen. Old Puritan Thomas Watson said that, it, that Romans 8.28 was a soft pillow for a tired head. I've rested my head on it a few times over the years. A soft pillow for a tired head, Brother David. It is. It's God's word. We have his word on this. One more. Read it. Read it. Just one more, fella. One more of you men. If you don't have that underlined in your Bible, underline that. Put a star outside it. Highlight it. Dog ear the page. It's going to bring comfort to your life one of these days. All right, Philippians 1. Philippians chapter number 1, beginning in verse 12, reading down through verse 19. The Bible says, But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing that affliction to my bonds. But the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then, notwithstanding, 
every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. You look back with me at verse 12 where the Bible says, But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me, I'm interested in these things that happened to Paul. Thank you for standing. Some four years ago and back, we went through the book of Philippians. I enjoyed it. I'd love to go through it again. We just have other things on our heart that we need to cover as a church, we feel. But it is the epistle of joy, 18 or 19 times. it do you good. Reading through the book of Philippians won't take you but a few minutes. Sit down, read through the four chapters. And underline every time you find the word joy or rejoice or rejoicing or rejoiced past tense. You'll find it some 18 or 19 times, I forget which. You'll find it saturated with joy and you'll find this epistle to be saturated with the Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, one of the nights I was introducing the book of Philippians, Brother Jay and Miss Katie Knight were here. And I said something about how you won't go but a verse or two and you'll find Paul mentioning Jesus. Then Jesus Christ. Then Christ Jesus our Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ. He was a Jesus preacher, a Christ preacher. His focus was on the Lord Jesus Christ. And if our focus will be on him, our lives will have an uninterrupted joy about them. So he opened this chapter, of course, that he had fond memories of a faithful church. We covered that, of course, way back then. In verse number three, I often sign correspondence with people that I'm fond of and have known for some time with verse number three, Philippians 1. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. There are some people that God will put in your path through the years, and that will be their testimony. You'll be thankful for them, and you'll rejoice in them every time you think upon them. Um, It will bring joy to your heart. He then moved to the prayers that he would pray for them. He didn't pray for them, what we often pray for one another. But he prayed for wisdom, he prayed for strength, he prayed for love that would abound in their lives, a wisdom that would change their lives and would change the lives of everybody around them, so on and so forth. And then he comes into verse number 12 through verse number 19, and he deals with this thing of of, uh, this adverse set of circumstances that he has dealt with. We got five or six of you men, I thank you for reading. And responding to our request this morning, Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. A lot of years ago at Union Theological Seminary in Richmond, Virginia, uh, one of the professors was teaching through the book of Romans, knowing that those students, many of them, had not had a lot of teaching in their lives He wanted to help prepare them not just for ministry and teach them not just how to prepare a sermon, but he wanted them to understand that not everything in life is good, but if you belong to God, God will take it and use it for good in your life. So when he got to Romans chapter 8, before he finished the chapter, he wanted to take a lesson, just an entire class one day in seminary and teach those boys about Romans 8, 28. He finished and left some time for questions, and one of the students raised his hand, and, and uh, he asked, he said, do you really believe that? 
And he said, what are you talking about? He said, you really believe that? You believe even sorrow and grief and pain, that God takes that in the life of the preacher or the life of the Christian, excuse me, and works it for good over time? He said, I, I absolutely believe it. He said, why? He said, well, first of all, because the Bible says so. And so he asked him, he said, well, he said, have you, have you ever seen that come to pass in people's lives? And the seminary professor said, absolutely. He said, I've seen it take place, live long enough to watch that. God take even adversity and work it across time, work it for good uh, in the lives of those facing the adversity and those of their loved ones in their lives as well. He said, young man, you need to, you need to become familiar with the teaching of that verse and you need to understand that the truth of Romans eight twenty eight still stands. Before the day was out, the seminary professor and his wife was in a horrible accident. His wife died in the accident. He was taken to critical care and would, would remain there for some time. The seminary professor was able to get back late in the night to see him. He leaned over and whispered and, uh, to the professor that was lying there in ICU. And he said, look, he said that they're praying around the clock. Uh, on the campus. Is anything I can tell your students? He said, tomorrow, go tell my first-year students that Romans eight twenty-eight still stands. Uh, he would get out of the hospital. They would bury his wife, but he would succumb to his injuries in less than a year. And on his tombstone, he had requested his children to put Romans eight twenty-eight, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. The reason why we read that verse and then tied it in with these verses is because if you want to see everything working out for good in Paul's life, uh, it is right here in this text. There were those who, who were preaching Christ, but they were using their opportunity to preach to take a shot at Paul. This is one of Paul's four prison epistles. You talk about kicking a man when he's down. Um, they were saying things about him. They were trying to destroy him. I despise that in the ministry. I see that, and I despise that in the ministry. Men destroying other men because we disagree somewhere along the way. It's interesting to me that, and you forgive me for saying it this way, but we treat better the Muslim that owns the convenience store than we do our brothers and sisters in other Baptist churches. I think that's an indictment on Christianity in the day in which we live here in the buckle of the Bible belt. It doesn't cost you anything to be kind and show the love of Christ even to someone that you may disagree with. Someone lent you a hand once upon a time and shared the gospel with you. But nevertheless, this is going on in Paul's life. I've fallen in love with the ministry of Paul. As a matter of fact, if God would grant me life, I don't know if he will grant liberty to do so, but if we live long enough to finish through the life of Christ in the Gospels, I'd love to follow right behind in the book of Acts in the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul. It's a rich ministry. He's very raw. He's real throughout his writings. He bears his heart. He takes a stand. Whatever is needed. Uh, Paul had two things every child of God needs, but especially every preacher needs. Paul had a tough hide and he had a tender heart. And you need both of those if you're going to serve God. If you're going to serve Christ in any capacity, mark it down. You will get your feelings hurt. You will be talked about. Uh, there will be those that will misunderstand you. And there will be those on purpose will misrepresent you. And uh, you, don't, you don't have to take time to put out every fire in your life. Just keep walking for Christ. Keep living for Christ. Keep serving for Christ. Maintain a tough eye. 
but you better keep a tender heart. We never want to become callous. These little fellows, when they need somebody to lead them to the Lord, we don't be so callous we can't be tender and sensitive to their needs. Or when somebody's having marital problems, we don't want to, we don't want to be calloused and say, well, let them get over it or whatever. We want to be sensitive enough to help those who are hurting around about us. What a tremendous source of comfort to know that Romans 8.28 still holds. It is still in the Bible. It's amazing to me how that God's always up to something. No matter what we're facing, God's taking it and working. No matter what the devil may be doing to us, no matter what we may be facing in this life, God is still at work in the lives of all of his people. And he works it. We all come from different backgrounds. We all are at different stations in life. We all have different lots in life. And yet God is working individually in your life, and he's working individually in my life. Uh, These people who were opposed to Paul, they thought while he is under house arrest now for these two years, uh, while he's down, let's just besmirch his name. Let's see what we can do to, uh, to destroy him. Uh, that, that was their intention. When you set out to talk about somebody, yeah, that's what you want to do to them. You want to destroy them. You at least want to injure them. And that's what they wanted to do to Paul. But here's the thing about it. If you're walking with God and God's working in your life, uh, then uh, your friends can help you attain to some level in your walk with Christ. But your enemies, only your enemies can take you farther than the surface. You think about David. Where would David have been without his Goliath? Uh, Where would Paul have been without his enemies? Uh, Where would Joseph have been without ten jealous brothers that would sell him into slavery and turn their back on him? They wanted to kill him before they sold him into slavery. It's amazing how what the devil intends for evil, God can take and work for good. Notice in verse number 12 where Paul writes here in Philippians 1, about the uncomfortable things that he faced. He says in verse number 12, he says, But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. He says, But I would you should understand, brethren. What he's saying is, I want you in the know. I want for you to understand. I don't need your pity is what he's saying. He's saying, I know what they've done. And what they've done, they've done to me. And they continue to do for me, but uh, do to me, but don't feel sorry for me. He says, I want to enlighten you on what actually is going on in and around my life. Now, he writes about, of course, in the book of Philippians, the book of Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. He writes about his shackles or his chain, or here in Philippians 1, he mentions his bonds. Look with me at verse number 13. He says, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. Uh, He writes in verse number 14, and many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident by my bonds, that is my chain, uh, my being under arrest. Verse number 16, the one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds. Now, back before you get to verse number 12 and verse number 7 of the same chapter, he writes about his bonds. He says, even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. He's under house arrest. He's imprisoned, if you will. He cannot go outside of where... Uh, where he will be chained to a Roman soldier around the clock for two solid years. He cannot leave his, leave his home. 
And he's under arrest, not for what he's done wrong, but for what he's done right. He's preached Christ, and there were those that despised him for it. And so he's not in prison because God is chastening him. That's not why he's in prison. He's in prison because of people who were mean-spirited, had a depraved heart, and did not want Paul to be in the public preaching the gospel of Jesus any longer. And so there are those bonds that hold him. Of course, the thing about Paul is, though he's locked up, he's bound, he's free. That's the way it was with Joseph when he was in prison. He was probably the freest man on planet Earth. Doesn't matter what you're locked up to, if you can, if you can get peace with Christ, you can be as free as a bird flying in, in the spacious sky. If you know the Lord, you can be locked up to a sickness, and yet be free in your spirit and in your mind. That's just the way Paul is. He's free. He says, don't fret for me. I want to bring you in the know. I want to enlighten you. I want you to know, though the devil's at work and these other birds are working against me, God is working, doing a work even through my bonds. Don't show me how these men have treated him. Look, if you will, in Philippians 1, verses 15 and 16. He said, some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife, and some also of good will. In other words, of good purpose. He said, some are preaching Christ, but there's envy and strife about them. Their message is filled with with bitterness. Their message is filled with strife and envy. Uh, The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add to uh, my affliction, to add affliction to my bonds. And so Paul describes how these brethren have taken advantage of Paul's, uh, Paul's being in prison. That's, that's interesting to me, isn't it? That this adding affliction, John Phillips said, said you could translate that to read like this, to make my chains even, even more galling than they, otherwise, than they otherwise are. Again, you're talking about kicking a man when he's down. That's what these guys are doing. They're trying to take advantage of uh, Paul's adversity, and they're kicking him. Uh, while he is down. They've added to his affliction. That's what they've done. Paul is saying, indeed, they have hurt me. You remember what Joseph's brethren did to him. According to Psalm 105, they hurt him. We just finished Wednesday night, the book of Job. I appreciate what some of you said to me personally. Wednesday night, three or four of you came up to me and said, Brother Kevin, I'm going to miss Job, and I'm going to miss Job as well. I've so enjoyed looking through each chapter of the book of Job. But do you know what Job is saying to his three friends as they accuse him and assault him over and over again? In essence, he was saying, fellas, I'm hurting, but you're hurting me more. You're adding more affliction uh, to my already, uh, the, the already the sorrow and the pain that I am experiencing in life. Paul says in verse number 15 that there were those preaching Christ of envy and strife. You wouldn't think there would be such a thing, would you? You know, if, if we spend our time here at Charity preaching about, I don't know what they're doing at Green Valley or what they're doing at West Heights this morning. I don't know what they're doing down here at Cary Springs or Randolph Baptist. But if I spend my time taking shots at them, I've done you a disservice. I don't know what they're doing. They've got enough to worry about without me putting my nose in their business. Does that make, well, you ought to say amen right there and we'll just move on. It's none of my business what they're doing. If they're preaching the gospel, it's none of my business what they're doing. But here Paul said that there were those that were preaching. They were preaching Christ all right. They were preaching, verse number 15, of envy. That carries the idea of jealousy. And number two, strife, which means wrangling. 
It would seem that there were those that were envious and, and uh, were jealous of the apostle Paul. Verse number 16, Paul puts his finger on the root of the problem. Verse number 16, Paul writes, The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely. The word contention is a political word. It's also a word used for rivalry. It speaks of divisions. It speaks of partitions. It speaks of a denominational type of an idea, partisanship. That's the idea. The word contention is a word used to describe somebody that is seeking public office. It's somebody that would canvas your community and mine. They're looking for personal support. They want you to get behind them. They want you to put your weight, your influence. They want your vote. And, uh, and that's why they canvass the area, trying to get somebody to support them. And, of course, the idea of this is self-promotion and self-seeking. It's a popularity contest, a power struggle, and uh, among a lot of other things. Instead of these men preaching that, uh, now, Paul said there's some preaching Christ. And they're preaching Christ, and they're doing it of goodwill. And they're preaching Christ because God has called them to do so. And they weren't taking shots at Paul. As a matter of fact, they probably were gaining strength from Paul. Here he is being persecuted and remaining faithful uh, behind a locked door, chained to a Roman soldier. Now, no doubt there were those that were getting, gaining strength for him, from him, but there were those that were taking shots at him. Instead of pointing people to Christ, as Paul has done in his ministry, uh, they're trying to draw attention unto themselves. Verse number 16 says, not only of contention, but he says, uh, not uh, sincerely. It describes, uh, if you talk about sincerity, you speak of pure motives. If someone is sincere, they have unmixed motives. Pure motives are seen in Paul as he does his best to point the lost to Christ. And he tries to exalt Christ in his preaching and in his writings. Impure motives are seen in these men trying to promote themselves of course, we live under the curse of celebrityism, even in the Baptist ranks today. It's no longer the charismatics that are presenting themselves that way. But now even in Baptist ranks, we have men who are full of themselves, and they promote themselves, and they want you, to, they want you almost to bow to them. I really have no use for that, not because I'm a country preacher and no one outside of you all and my family will know my name, but now the ministry is no place for that. It's no place for the promotion of flesh, it's no place to try to promote yourself, promote a salary, promote anything along that line. As a matter of fact, most of us, when we're dead and gone, six months after we're gone, most people will never have heard our names. The majority of people won't even remember us that we knew six months after our funeral service. Out of jealousy, these men are hurting Paul. Paul has been put out front. He's a leader, no doubt. He's a leader in, in the known world back in those days in Christendom. And these men that are preaching are jealous of him. They are envious of him. And I tell you, if God does put a man out front and he's serving Christ, we don't need to destroy him. What we need to do is fan the flame. We need to pray for him that God will continue to use him. I was speaking with a dear brother from another state. Uh, it's, been, uh, it's been maybe seven, eight, nine days ago now. We were talking about some men that we know that pastor very large congregations. I wouldn't dare question their faithfulness to God, their dedication to God. God is using them, not just among those, those uh, people in those congregations, but he's using them abroad. Be careful what you say about someone, whether they're in the ministry or not. Someone said long ago, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. There's an English word for that, and that's hogwash. 
words that you can say hurtful things. As a matter of fact, you could say something hurtful to a four-year-old, a five-year-old, six-year-old child, and it might help shape how they look at, uh, how they put their feet down and, and function in their little lives. Be careful what you say. Be careful how you say what you say. And be careful when you say what you do say. Just because someone is gossiping, and that is entertaining, by the way, but just because someone is gossiping, number one, doesn't mean that you have to believe it, and number two, you sure don't have to participate in it. Uh, It's all entertainment until it's about you and your bunch, and then it's hurtful, right, if you've ever been there. They're trying to destroy Paul. Paul's no stranger to rejection and people tearing him down in life. Listen to his swan song, 2 Timothy 4, 16 to 18. You don't have to turn there. Listen to this. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 4, 16 to 18, some of Paul's very final words before he was beheaded uh, that he wrote down and left for us. He said, at my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. Can you imagine that? Everybody forsook him. Everybody walked out. As a matter of fact, you remember when he wrote to Timothy and told him to come before winter? We don't know if Timothy got there before he died. Uh, We don't know if he got there. You remember he wanted three things. Uh, You remember he wanted his coat? It's going to be a rough winter. He knew it would, and he didn't even have a coat. But he owned one. He said, don't you bring my coat. I want you to bring my Bible. He was talking about the scriptures. He said, bring the books. Now, Paul believed you ought to read, give much attendance to reading. He wrote to Timothy on one occasion, but he really believed you ought to read the Bible. And if he couldn't get anything else to him, get him his Bible. Now, I want to tell you something. We don't know if Timothy got there, do we? We don't know if whenever he got to where where Paul was, we don't know if Paul had already died. Maybe he did get there and get to spend some time with him. We just don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us that. But but Paul said at my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. He said, I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, he said, the Lord stood with me. I was talking to you some months back about Steve Wagers, uh, Wagers and his mom, one of the things that he hated about his mom's death was she died because of COVID, died in the hospital all alone. And he would call and check on her. And he talked to her about that and talked about what a struggle it was. And he said she called her Stevie and said, said finally, he talked to her about it. And he said, Mom, he said, I'm, I'm, I'm really disturbed. I, I'm, I'm heartbroken. She said, why, Stevie? He said, because there you are in the hospital. If God doesn't do something, you're all alone and you're going to Go meet the Lord all by yourself. And she said, well, Stevie, um, I'm not by myself. He, she said, the Lord's right here with me. And here Paul says, though everybody else walked out, he said, notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Can you imagine? A lion. Uh, and being delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. At a time when a man, a choice servant of God, needed the support of those around him, he was forsaken. Forsaken by everybody except for the Lord himself. When he needed somebody to care, somebody to support him, uh, he did not uh, find that. Now, I want to tell you something to keep in mind. I've thought about this through the years when you find yourself in adversity, and you will at times, uh, you have to know and rest assured of a handful of things. Number one, know that God knows. Amen? Know that he brought you to it. Now, he could have prevented you from being right where you are. 
But he knows right where you are. Mentioning again the book of Job. Not only did he know where Job was, but everything Job faced was, it ran through heaven in conversation before it ever materialized in Job's life. Number two, we'll, you must know that God will see you through it. Have you ever gone through something you think, I'll never survive this? How am I going to get through? You'll get through it. God will get you through it just like he got you through the last ordeal you came through. And then you have to know that God will strengthen you in the middle of it all. We wonder sometimes, how will I muster the strength? God has grace. You may not have needed that kind of grace yet, but God has grace. And then God will. You have to know that God will show himself in your life. He will show himself in your life in spite of it all. You never know who's looking on. I'll say something about that in just a moment. But you never know as you face adversity who's looking on. Somebody's looking on. The Bible teaches us, for man doesn't live to himself, nor does he die to himself. You're influencing somebody for the glory of God or otherwise. You're influencing somebody. I remember, the Shettles remember, the Williamsons will know who I'm talking about. Uh, Whitney and Brian will know who I'm talking about. The Busby's sitting here will know who I'm talking about. Perhaps some of you others. I remember hearing Elton Williams uh, had, had glasses thick as Coke bottles, didn't he? And, and then uh, one of the ladies bought him a magnifying glass. And he would sing behind that magnifying glass, what will I leave behind? When I cross over into worlds unknown, what will I leave behind? He, he, he would sing that song. I was so delighted. First time I heard it, I was delighted the last time I heard it. Amanda and I went by to see him in his little single wide trailer one day. He had a pork chop. He turned the stove eye on, put the skillet there, a little bit of, uh, a little bit of oil in it, what he had done. Uh, he heard it sizzle when he put the pork chop down. He turned it over and it sizzled again. He couldn't see to tell whether it's done or not. Cut the stove eye off, flopped it over on a, uh, flopped it over on a, uh, a, a plate and went to eat. Now, I mean, that's just who he was. Never had much, did he? If you knew him, he, he never had much. But he was worried about what he would leave behind. And you're going to leave something behind, and I'm going to leave something behind. As a matter of fact, uh, while I'm speaking in very generals right now, I hope somebody, when they bring me to church for the last time, bring my body to church for the last time, I hope somebody can say uh, to my wife, look, he loved God and influenced me for that. I remember being in a service a lot of years ago where a, where a man in a furniture factory around here local, people got to testifying. That man was in that service. And one right after the other talked about, look, what y'all see in y'all's church around here, uh, we see that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And he had influenced so many lives. It was an overwhelming service for that one. You might be overwhelmed to know who's looking at you and who's following you. Notice with me, if you will, also, how that Paul, though he's now under house arrest, he doesn't quit. He doesn't throw the towel in. Sometimes when it's not going our way, we think, well, what am I going to do now? You keep doing what you were doing in the past. Keep serving God. Keep praying. Keep reading your Bible. Keep looking to the Lord. Keep trusting him. Keep letting him guide your life. Paul is not going to stop. This closed door, now he can't go out and preaching these churches and start churches anymore. He can't go out involved in mission work like he was before. But now God's going to open brand new doors uh, for Paul. These difficulties he's now facing, uh, God's going to change the emphasis of Paul's, uh, going to change the emphasis of Paul's ministry. God's going to use him. God's going to use his chains. 
God's going to use his bondage. God's even using these old boys talking bad about him. God is going to take that and use it for good. Notice how God takes negatives and makes them positives in this text. In verse number 12, verse 12 says, But I would have you understand, brethren, that the things which happen unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. He said, what's going on in my life right now, God's making a way for something else. For the furtherance of the gospel. That word furtherance comes from a word that, that was used of military when they were on the march. Soldiers were on the march. They'd be a group of men that would go out before them. They'd clear away the underbrush. They'd clear paths so that the soldiers on the march would have a clear path. And they would be unimpeded as they march into enemy territory. They're removing all the barriers that would slow those soldiers down. I've illustrated this through the years with Ani Ralph, uh, with Ani Ralph up at uh, Crossroads Baptist Church in Faulkner, Mississippi. You've heard me tell this before, but it illustrates what Paul is saying so well. I preached a Sunday night through a Friday night up there. And at the close of the Friday night service, uh, we were standing around to give you the short of it all. And I said to Brother Ani, I said, I have preached myself to death this week. I said, man, the liberty around here and the sweetness among your people. I said, they have preached me to death this week. God's using you to do a good work. And he said, no. He, he said, not me. He said, I followed Brother Wayne McKee. He said, Brother Wayne, and Brother Wayne is a dear friend. He's from our area. He's now moved down to South Mississippi to be near his son on some of his son's property. He wants to finish his days out down there, enjoying his grandchildren. But some of you that go to Taylorsville. You've had Brother Wayne come around and speak to you. He's been to our Bible conference a few years back. Brother Wayne, Brother Wayne McKee, this is what Brother Ani said. He said, Brother Wayne was here and paid the price. He said he dealt with the issues and let those with the issues walk away. And he said, now I've been able to come in here and have a ministry of sweetness and liberty. But he said, he's the one that made the way. Sometimes we wonder and we face difficulty, why are we having to pay the price we're paying? It may not be just to benefit you. It may be to benefit those that are going to come uh, behind you. Notice Paul is saying, he's saying all these things have happened in my life. And, and, and where you would think it would stop the gospel from being preached, it's actually promoted the gospel. The furtherance of the gospel. Look at verse number 13. In verse number 13, uh, Paul, uh, in, in, in all the things that happened, Paul is, is saying to us, watch verse 13, that God is doing a work of reaching others with the gospel. Look at verse 13. So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace. In all the palace. My bonds in Christ, my house arrest in Christ, are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. Now, Caesar hated Christ. He hated the name of Christ. He hated Christianity. He hated Paul. Now, he did. But uh, what uh, they don't realize is when they chained the Apostle Paul, when they chained him to the Praetorian Guard, the Praetorian Guard was made up of 10,000 men that were handpicked uh, of Italian birth. They would serve 12 to 16 years. They reaped double benefit and double pay than, rather than the other common soldier. These were the elite. This is the SEAL Team 6. And, uh, and every six hours, there would be a soldier go in and be handcuffed to Paul, be chained by a short chain to Paul. And no doubt those men thought when they went in there and snapped those cuffs or whatever it was that they would snap, they thought, well, I'm just guarding a little preacher man. That's what I'm doing. They had no idea. They had absolutely no idea the Spirit of God was enrolling them. 
in a course on systematic theology. I can hear Paul, can't you? I can hear him when the old boy sits down beside him. He says, good morning. What is your name? And perhaps he said, well, my name's Bill. What's your name, sir? My name's Saul, originally Saul, which means big. But God changed my name to Paul, which means small. And I've learned for Christ's sake to live small in a big world. And, uh, and he'd probably ask old Bill, Bill, if, uh, did you know that, uh, did you know that uh, the steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord? And I can hear Bill say, now, Paul, I, no, I didn't know that. And I can hear him or see him look over his little nose and say, well, you will understand that before you get out of here. He won many of that praetorian guard. He won many of them to the Lord. As a matter of fact, right here in Philippians 4, verse 22, before Paul finishes writing this letter, look at verse number 22. He's going to say his goodbyes. Watch what he says in Philippians 4, 22. He said, all the saints salute you, Philippi. Church at Philippi. He said, chiefly, they that are of Caesar's household. He said, Bill said, tell you hello. Though he's never met, met you, if he don't meet you here, he'll see you in the city one day. Bill's been saved. John's been saved. Um, Steve's been saved. All these old boys that had it in for me and thought they despised Christianity, not only have they been saved, their wives have been saved. There's been revival, if you will, has broken out right under the Roman emperor's nose. How say hallelujah? Watch this. He added in verse number 13, and in other places. Isn't that amazing? What we think's killing us. God often takes it and pushes us into an area of life. Even in my own life, I won't detail it for you. I don't know what the times Amanda and I have looked back and stated as hard as that was to go through. We could not be where we are. Our attitudes are probably real poor, especially Amanda's. I know hers is real bad sometimes. There's a time in the ministry, Jim, my attitude wasn't the best. I won't give a last name, but you remember Harold. He'd been to the pen. Wanted me gone. He couldn't get to me, so he called and said something that would make you blush to my wife. The deacons had called a vote on me. They voted me in. Church voted me in. He still didn't like it. Come off the back row. Look, I had not been saved, but about three years myself. I come around from behind the pulpit. Had it not been for an old boy named Walter Taylor, I don't know what, I'd have lost my testimonies, what I'd done. I didn't appreciate that. But if we, if had we not been where we have been in life, you don't have much of a pastor, but you sure wouldn't have had much of a pastor. God knows what he's doing. Sometimes he gives us a crash course in pain. Sometimes he does it. And God doesn't care how much he has to embarrass us to make us more like Christ. And it's not for our It is for our benefit, but it is for the benefit of those around about us. Does that make any sense to you this morning? Nod your head. As Jimmy Grubbs, you say, it won't fall off. Nod your head. Just do like that. It didn't stop him. You'd have thought it would have killed him, but it didn't kill him. It helped him. Helped those around his life. You remember, um, you remember we were still on the parking lot, I believe, went through the Life of Joseph. I think a lot of him. He comes out in my preaching some. 
But when he's being taken away, if we understand what Psalm 105 says about him, he wept. There were tears. When they tied him, he was behind the travelers that bought him. They're headed to Egypt and going to sell him on the slave block. Potiphar would purchase him. Had no clothing. They took his, they took his coat of many colors. Embarrassed him, humiliated him. He was hurting. And you'd have thought that was going to kill him. But what we want to shout out to him as he walks away, being treated worse than an animal, is Joseph, get it out. Weep, son. The same bunch that wanted to kill you a few minutes ago that has just sold you and turned their back on you. They're going to need you to deliver them, spare their lives one day. So you need to get that out of your system now, Joseph. It took God 22 years to get it out of Joseph. But there was a purpose. There were two countries. Even more than that, Joseph's going to put them on his shoulders and walk through seven years of famine and get every one of them through it. You never know what God may be up to. Listen, I've got to hasten. Look at verse number 14. God did a work not only of saving souls in the midst of all this, but also of encouraging other servants through Paul's sufferings. Verse number 14, many of the brethren in the Lord Waxing confident by my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Have you ever looked at somebody else and got strength from them? I mean, they didn't know it. You maybe maybe you never told them, but um, but just their faithful walk has encouraged your walk. So you want to be faithful because of the example that they've set. God did a work of strengthening Paul, verse number nineteen. For I know that this shall turn to my strength through your prayer and the supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this salvation. He's talking about his own health and well-being. He's not talking about the saving of the soul. He's saying God's helping me in the middle of it. He's helping some of these out here in the middle of it. And he's saving souls in spite of it. And then lastly, his undefiled spirit. I love this. There's no bitterness in Paul. Watch this. What then? Verse 18. What then? In other words, what does all this mean? Paul is saying, what is it I'm trying to convey? What does all this mean? How can we file it back so it will be a benefit to us? What then? Notwithstanding it, every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. No bitterness. No bitterness in Paul's life. Only rejoicing. Only rejoicing. I don't know what you may face in the days ahead. I don't know what you may be facing today. We don't just wrestle with temptation to sin. Sometimes sometimes maybe it's something else. It's just got us bogged down. It's in our Christian walk. They're the things that Paul faced, and they're the things that you're going to face, ladies and gentlemen, that we're all going to face. But I'm glad that we can do it with an uninterrupted joy. Paul said, I know what they're saying about me, and there were preachers that were saying it. But he said, at least they are preaching Christ. And the Holy Spirit can take a message if Christ is preached and save a soul, friend. It doesn't matter where they are. They'd be on the backside of Timbuktu or Bon Jovi, Egypt. It don't matter. 
He said, at least Christ is being preached. I guess Paul had the attitude where they're talking about him. He's leaving everybody else alone. He said, I rejoice. I rejoice. Still in the Bible, you know, we know that all things work together for good. To them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Let's stand as Miss Angie and Brother Greg comes and readies us.